everyone and welcome to episode 62 of the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur and I'm joined as always by my co-host James Terlings for Resident Evil. James, it has been a very long time since we've done a horror game. Absolutely. It's been what, like episode eight when we did Silent Hill 2? Uh, that was a good episode. I'm kind of glad to be jumping back into the genre. Um, although I don't think you're too keen on the genre from what we heard last time. Well, I wasn't, but I'm. I gotta say, I'm starting to come round on it significantly after playing a few titles. I think, I think I was massively thrown off the genre with uh, modern horror titles, stuff like Amnesia: Dark Descent, where uh, as soon as you are forced to go into darkness in a first-person perspective, I was sick and tired. I didn't play any more than that. But I think that these older horror, you know, survival horror games are built differently, and I'm. Uh, I'm feeling very different about the genre as a whole now that I've been exposed to a bit more games from it. Excellent. Well, I'm very excited to kick off this episode. Um, have you had many experiences with the Resident Evil franchise before? So I basically have never played a Resident Evil game before, but I have watched a lot of playthroughs of it. Um, my favorite mm. Let's Players are Rory, Croops, and Gav. They used to be under the Prepare to Try label for IGN, and they've since become their own thing called RKG. I love those guys are uh, very entertaining playthroughs they did a full playthrough of resident evil one um back like five years ago which i watched to completion and i've also watched their resident evil 2 and 3 remastered ones and resident evil 3 play sorry resident evil 7 playthrough um i didn't remember a whole lot about the resi one playthrough except some of the puzzle motifs and um a couple of surprise moments did stick with me but i definitely wasn't going into this game completely blind that being said all of the specifics of how you make your way through the game were unknown to me and i've got to say watching someone play through this game is a very different experience to actually playing it yourself so even though i've seen playthroughs and i kind of roughly understand the the broad strokes of what the experience is like this is my first time getting hands-on with the genre the genre we played silent hill too that was a bit of a you know a survival horror experience yeah if silent hill 2 is different in some very noticeable ways though i i guess i guess you're right though silent hill 2 does belong to the genre first time with the resi series yeah so this will be my second foray into the series i actually started playing resident evil with seven um and had intended to come back and try all of the older ones uh, after seven because I, I guess i feel like i liked the first 60 percent of seven quite a lot and then it kind of dropped off a cliff for me um but that's a conversation for elsewhere uh <laughs> but so really you know i'd never really experienced resident evil one um before at all and of course we're playing the remake version on the on the gamecube um, rather than the OG version on the PlayStation 1. Um, we chose this version specifically because we were recommended it by a number of people, including Chris from Retro Asylum, who we had on for last episode. 
Um, everybody spoke very, very highly of this GameCube remake, so, you know, we jumped right on board with that. There are many, many different versions of Resident Evil 1. So, the original game was released in 1996 uh, by Capcom uh, for the PlayStation 1. Then you saw a couple more different versions get released. Uh, there's like a 1997 director's cut, and then I think another alternate version of Resi 1. Um, there's even like game uh game boy like a handheld remake of it uh but the 2002 remake kind of it feels like a completely different game from what i've seen like they've dramatically changed not just how the story and cutscenes play out but also how the gameplay actually um actually plays to things like items dis- distribution and even entire layouts of areas have changed it's um it's pretty akin to the changes from the original Resi 2 to the Resi 2 the recent Resident Evil 2 remaster actually. Um but as James said the GameCube version is held in very high regard. You'll get a lot of different opinions on which is the best one to play, but um from the people we heard the GameCube one was uh was the one to go for. Yeah, the other consideration is the HD remaster which is really just uh, a remaster of the GameCube remake. Um I've heard many people say that's quite good. Um, although I have looked at a lot of screenshots myself and I gotta say I think the lighting um, actually looks a lot better in the GameCube version so I can't really speak out of experience for that newer version but I we you know we both played on the an emulated version of the GameCube game um, and I can absolutely vouch for that as a pretty you know good and safe bet yeah so do your research find the version that's best for you um, but I agree with James. I Today we're talking about the GameCube remake and even with no other experience of the other titles, I can vouch for it as well. Um, for those who haven't listened to us before, James and I make up the Retrospectors podcast. Each and every fortnight we play through classic games of the past. Uh, 15 years or older is usually our cutoff and we have an in-depth discussion and review of them not taking into account the time in which they are produced simply on the basis of our experiences playing them today. We are not a nostalgia podcast. We're not here to celebrate old video games uh, because they're old and uh, we remember them fondly. We're not here to understand and appreciate these games and the context in which they were produced. We simply want to know how good these games are to play today. And the reason we do that is because even though gaming has changed and evolved in a lot of ways over the years, we both believe that sometimes changes aren't strict improvements and what's evolution can often be side grades or downgrades. So we go back in time and we find these games with game design concepts that many consider outdated or outmoded and we try and find the value in them. A lot of the time they're garbage, but sometimes every now and then you strike gold and you find something that is a true classic, is worth playing, even though it's 20 plus years old. Yeah, and of course this way of reviewing games isn't you know, the best way to review these old games by any stretch. I think there is a lot of historical value in these older titles, but for this show we are taking you know, this modern perspective and honestly a kind of unfair perspective because i think that the games that do you know rise to this kind of tough challenge really are these titles that everybody should probably give a go yes a standard of criticism is harsh but if it passes that must mean it's a pretty damn good game 
So as you start um, Resident Evil, you, your first thing that you choose is you choose a difficulty level and you also choose a character to play. And this isn't some mindless aesthetic difference when you choose your character. It actually has a dramatic impact on the kind of experience you have. James and I both played on normal, but to keep it interesting, we picked different characters. So your options are Chris or Jill. I took Chris and James took Jill. There are a lot of difference between these characters and how they play and how it affects your journey through the game. But just to give you a brief idea of some of the differences, um, Chris is limited to only six inventory slots. Uh, he has a lighter that he can use to burn zombie corpses to stop them resurrecting. He has more health and he aims faster. Uh, Jill, on the other hand, has eight inventory slots. She's a bit weaker though. Uh, and instead of having a lighter to burn bodies, she instead gets a lockpick, which allows her to open doors that Chris needs a special key for. There are also a lot of different story changes. Uh, Chris is accompanied by Rebecca as he explores the mansion and surroundings, whereas Jill is accompanied by Barry and is assisted with Barry as she explores the environment. And they have different scenarios and things happening to them as they go around the mansion. That's not a comprehensive list of the changes, but it does lead to a fairly uh, different experience. And James and I have uh, exchanged in brief a couple of the different things that we had to experience. And yeah, it, it does make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in general, I think Jill is considered to be the easier character for the first playthrough. So if you're a bit unsure, yeah, just go for Jill. It, I found it to be pretty comfortable. Yeah, opinion is divided though. There are people who um, who argue that Chris is easier, particularly in this uh, remake, because in the original game, the differences between the characters is different yet again. So um, I think either's, uh, either is fine, but as James said, Jill will probably be a more comfortable experience overall. Uh, to give you guys a brief introduction of Resident Evil, if you're unfamiliar with the franchise, because although it is very popular, I'm sure there's people who have never played it before, uh, there are mysterious attacks happening and people are appearing with chunks bitten out of them and no one has any idea of what's going on. The concept of zombies apparently hasn't infiltrated popular culture in the Resident Evil universe, so no one really has any idea what's going on. Uh, a team of special forces that get sent in to investigate these weird cannibalistic cults as they assume, as the team assumes it's to be, uh, goes missing uh, in the middle of the woods and you Chris or Jill get sent in as the alpha team to follow up the Bravo team to find out what happened to the Bravo team you land and are chased by evil rabid dogs to a mansion out in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere get in and are basically trapped inside with no support in this creepy horrifying mansion and that's the story setup. You have to explore the mansion, try and find the Bravo team, and find out what's happened to them. And very rapidly, things uh, start to become clear that this is indeed a zombie survival horror game. So I think it's important for us to touch on the gameplay as well, just in broad terms. So you guys have an idea of what playing Resident Evil is and what kind of game it is. So it's a third-person a uh, survival horror game with fixed camera with a fixed camera and tank controls. What you do is you move from room to room 
and each room is delineated with a door with a loading screen in between. So each room is a self-contained room, and these rooms generally aren't huge. They're, they're normal-sized rooms, and you explore this big mansion that has a lot of resources for you to collect, things like ammo and healing items and puzzle items or key items that you let you unlock doors. And you kind of move around the mansion going from room to room. At the start, you're pretty unsure. You're just gradually exploring. But the more you explore, the more the better you'll be able to identify where the locks are and where potentially keys are to open those locks. So it's very much, at least to start with, an exploratory game where you're trying to survive in the face of these zombies with very limited resources and limited inventory, exploring and trying to find your way what to do next. It's a very slow and deliberate experience to begin with. And honestly, for much of the game, like your character doesn't move super fast. And in the beginning, like the one of the first things that you notice when you play this game is that these tank controls are quite hard to handle to begin with, right? One of the first things that struck me when playing this game was that it was hard to just get my character to go where I wanted them to go. Uh, one of the very first things that I did in my playthrough was that I got sent into this room that had a block pushing puzzle, which, you know, in a kind of classical, you know, standard control scheme would be very easy. But I spent like a good five minutes trying to push this one block around the room, you know, using this control scheme. And this control scheme is something that's very deliberate, right? Like when you go into a room... Um, and you come across like a single zombie just walking past them without getting hit is a challenge and because of this it's a very slow and methodical game right like the scale is very narrow this isn't a game where you mow through hundreds of zombies it's a game where a single zombie is quite scary just because of how i guess uncomfortable with your movement you are um, and like the tight layout of these rooms. Yeah, the very first room has a table in the middle of it, and it took me a while to l navigate around that table. Yeah, like it's it's very difficult. Ta for those who are unaware, tank controls are set up so that you can't turn on a dime. Uh, if you press backwards and try to move backwards, your character will back up. So you need to. So you kind of. Uh, can only gradually turn left and right. You can't just move in any direction freely. Uh, it feels incredibly uncomfortable. And honestly, it's still uncomfortable in once, even when you get used to it. But as James said, it's there for a reason. The other thing to note about the tank controls is that it works in tandem with the fixed cameras of the game. So Resident Evil doesn't have camera control like you would expect from any, literally any, you know, third-person game in today's day and age. It uses fixed cameras. So depending on where you're standing, you'll get a different shot of your character from a fixed location. And as you move around the room, that camera angle will change. So what this means is that Tank controls ensure that you don't get confused and disorientated whenever there's a camera angle change. If you had free-flowing controls where you moved relative to the direction you were pointing on the pad instead of moving forwards, you would constantly be running back and forth between these camera angles unintentionally. 
with the system as is, you can seamlessly, well, not entirely seamlessly, but close to seamlessly transition between six camera angle changes and still be heading exactly where you want to go. Yeah, because, you know, if you hold forward, you're moving, you know, forward in the direction that your character's facing. So no matter which angle you see your character from, they're always going to be moving forward or left relative to their own viewpoint. So it is a bit clunky to begin with. But like, as we'll talk about, I think this uh, this control scheme and this fixed camera angle is absolutely like integral to the experience of Resident Evil 1. Yeah, let's let's talk more about um, how much of a threat zombies actually are. Because zombies are the very first enemy you face. And I think that a lot of what makes Resident Evil 1 a brilliant game is just how threatening even the most basic fodder monster is at the very beginning of the game. We talk about this in Dark Souls as well, how every encounter is meaningful with even the low-level monsters when you start out because they can kill you. In the same way in Resident Evil 1, each and every zombie you see, the most basic monster, is an incredible threat to you that you need to deal with and that you don't really have the resources to deal with. So you get stuck in these narrow corridors, a zombie is walking towards you, what the hell do you do? You need to pull off a pretty precise dodge to get around them. Yeah, and in general, like, zombies will attack you by grabbing you if they get close enough. Um, Some will, you know, throw up bile and acid and that kind of thing. But generally, you know, a zombie looks like they control with tank controls as well. So Hmm. if you're like, if if you run quickly around them, then they have a turn rate as well. So you can kind of, if you run towards their back, they can't instantly spin around and grab you. But even like when you know that a zombie is dodgeable, it's hard to dodge the zombie because the controls are, you know, hard to control. Your character's quite unwieldy. And like Patrick, you know, near the end of the game, I felt pretty comfortable with the controls, honestly, but I still wasn't able to, you know, dodge around zombies every single time um and they have a lot of health too and you find very little ammo so to begin with you have a you know a pistol that has 15 shots um and to kill a zombie it takes like what like nine shots it's like it's like it's randomized so it's something like in between five and nine depending on how unlucky you are and you don't get that much ammo in this game like the resources in this game are very limited Um, so, you know, even just committing one magazine of ammo to take out a monster is a big commitment. Like, if you can get around a zombie, you really want to try and do that. Um, and I think that this makes both encounters feel really meaningful and finding ammo really meaningful in this game, right? Like, anytime you find anything... You're like jumping for joy. Like anytime I found six shotgun shells, it was like hitting the jackpot. Um, Something that's also really meaningful about the enemies is that they're persistent in the world. So there'll be a zombie, you know, in this one room. um, And if you, you know, if you deal with this zombie, he'll be dead the next time you come back to the room. There's no respawning enemies. The zombies in the room are all their own you know, characters almost, right? Um, So you have to kind of really pick and choose your fights in this game, and it's really meaningful, um, and I quite enjoyed that aspect of the game. You've got to be strategic. So at the start of the game... Those those fifteen bullets in your initial handgun, those are the first. You're you're going to be stuck at fifteen bullets for quite a while. 
Like yeah. <laughs> they they do you do eventually start getting more ammo, but you have the ability to kill one, maybe two zombies if you're lucky, but maybe just one zombie with with your opening handgun. So the zombies are less enemies to be killed and more obstacles to be avoided or threats to be aware of. And every time you return to that room, because We'll get into it in a bit, but the level design of the mansion is quite simply brilliant. It's not a linear experience where you just go from one end of a level to the other. You need to constantly and will be constantly be returning to these rooms with zombies. So choosing to not kill a zombie, well, that zombie is there until you kill it and you'll be coming there over and over again. And every time you open that door, you'll, you have to brace yourself to deal with and avoid that zombie as you go through again. Yeah, lots of the passageways in this game kind of loop back on themselves and you open shortcuts. So there's lots of rooms that you'll see like a dozen times on your exploration, right? Because, you know, you'll go to a room and it'll have another door that's locked for now. So you'll have to come back later when you get the key. So you know you're kind of trying to figure out like if you take out the zombies that are in the rooms that you go to most often you know that's pretty good um you're pretty happy to do that um but then there's rooms that you know you'll come back to like once later but there are like a lot of zombies there so you know leaving them all alive probably means that you're going to get hit and you don't have that much health in this game like on jill um i felt like and i had less health than patrick's character chris um, I felt like I could get hit like four times by a zombie and then you'd die. Um, and there are no checkpoints in this game. There are only hard saves. And hard saves are even limited to items as well. Um, so you explore the explore the mansion um, and you find ink ribbons, which are the item that lets you save at a typewriter. And to begin with, you find like three. So you can only save your game maximum three times. So you need to ration, you know, your bullets, your healing, and the saves as well. So you really, really want to be um, routing really cleverly and removing zombies at key intervals so to minimize the damage because there's no health regeneration either. Like, uh, you need to make the most of what you have. And if you don't, it feels like it's entirely possible to brick your save. Yeah, I mean, the there are five save slots, so you can always roll back to a previous save if you get very screwed, uh, which which is nice. Like, you, you, you won't lose heaps of progress. You'll just lose a good chunk. Um, I was lucky enough. I, I was being careful enough that I never needed to, to re- roll back a yeah, save. Yeah, I think... I think the key thing is that in the end, you probably won't ever brick your save, but the threat is there. Like it feels that tension um, that you might brick your save pushes you towards trying to be really efficient. Well, it dramatically changes how you would play versus in a game where you have, say, unlimited quick saves, like in Thief, for example. Like when you play Thief, which is a game I love to pieces, by the way, um, you tend to abuse the quick save. Uh, you tend to save a lot. You know, you take out a couple of guards, you save. You do this, you save. In Resident Evil, that's not an option. You need to make a significant chunk of progress and you feel the pressure to make a significant chunk of progress before you do any save. And what that means is that when you make a minor mistake, you don't reload a save. You try to, you know, battle on because you've already made it 
this much progress, it's like, well, I need to get back to that save room and save the progress I've made this far. It's a brilliant system, and it works in tandem with the location of the safe rooms. Um, and only being able to save at specified locations in this open-ended mansion. Yeah. Something that I really enjoyed about this game and I've heard other people complain about is that whenever you go between rooms, there's like a loading screen, which is actually just this long animation of this door, like slowly opening. And I actually, like a lot of people have told me they found it annoying. Um, but to me, it's like perfect because it kind of fits in with this slow methodical exploration of the mansion right like when you've been playing for about two hours and you haven't saved in a long time like every single door that you open is really tense because if there's something truly terrifying on the other side of this door then that two hours of your life is at risk um so i always found going into the next room kind of like a hold my breath moment when i was you know deep into a save slot so I think that um, you are correct with what you're saying, but it does uh, lead to a degree of tedium as you move into the late game and have to, and you're just moving around areas of the mansion that you know are safe. Yeah, I do believe that the way the rooms are delineated from one another is extremely important. Like you do need to have a loading screen of some kind, um, but it could be snappier. Like, it is quite a long drawn-out animation. And there's one particular section when you have to go down to the aquarium to poison the plant. I don't know. You, I don't think you had to do this in your playthrough, but Chris gets caught by a plant and you take control of Rebecca and have to make the J-Vault and go all the way down. And it's no, a pain I have to do ass. that. Oh, okay, yeah. So Chris is caught in the plant and you're just running through safe areas because Chris has cleared that whole area out. And it's yeah. just like, it's just a little tedious. But what you say has merit. Like there is something to be said for giving you that moment to take a breath and brace yourself for the horrors that awake you just beyond the door. Yeah. I think if you played this game with um, modern controls, um, and I say modern in huge quotes because i think that thinking of these controls as dated is incorrect because of how integral they are to the gameplay like if you had normal controls i think avoiding enemies would be trivial and that kind of defeats the whole you know tension of the game i think in the hd version you can opt for a more normal control scheme and i think that's absolutely a mistake um, like it was really frustrating to begin with and I sucked at controlling my character but by the end of the game when I was very comfortable with it uh, it felt rewarding and you know all of those zombies to begin with wouldn't have been as threatening as they would have been if I'd had a normal control scheme yeah you do learn to bait out these zombie grabs because the yeah. zombies will kind of wander up to you and they'll have a grab and if you move in the right way at the right moment you will always be given a window to run past them. I don't know if it like gives you clear, you know, it turns off collision, but you can always sneak past a zombie if they miss that grab, even in a narrow corridor. And um, learning how to do that move is basically essential to get around the place because, as James said, you can't absorb many hits before you get killed. So you better learn how to dodge those zombies or you're not going to get very far. Yeah, um, something that's really important as well is that if you kill a zombie, they don't necessarily stay dead um, unless you expend lighter fuel and set them on fire. 
Um, in the re, this isn't the case in the original version of the game, but in the remake, if you kill a zombie and leave it dead, it will come back to life as an even scarier, faster, stronger zombie called a flaming, a crimson head. Um, and those things are terrifying. They like make a really loud noise and sprint at you. I hate them. Um, so you know, n not only can you waste ammo on just killing a zombie for it not to stay dead, um, but you need to spend a very limited resource to make sure that areas are safe going forward. Does Jill find a lighter or something like yeah, that? Yeah, you find because, a lighter because, on the ground. Uh, and does it take up an inventory slot? Yeah, or so, does it just go? Uh, so if you wanna if you wanna burn zombies as Jill, you need to bring both the lighter and the fluid with you in separate inventory slots. So they kind of like chewed up two, and I felt like I had six for a lot of the time. Yeah, whereas Chris has the lighter uh, just outside his inventory. It's just an intrinsic part of his character. And then you just need the kerosene fuel as um, as an item in your inventory to burn zombies. Yep, Jill has the lockpick instead. So there are some doors around the mansion that you can just get into for free without needing a key as her. So James, we've, we've talked a fair bit about all these different elements. And I want to get into how this affected my experience um, playing the game as a whole because I, th I think it's useful to look at this a bit more holistically yeah so i was playing chris and i had six inventory slots and i let's just briefly talk about what that actually means because you know i can say any number of inventory slots and if you don't have context it's meaningless so the way it works is that if you have a weapon that will take up an inventory slot if you have spare ammo that will take up an inventory slot so if you've got a handgun with you know, 15 bullets in the clip, and then you've got another 30 bullets on the side, that's two inventory slots gone. Uh, healing items take up inventory slot. Every single puzzle item in the game takes up an inventory slot. Uh, the keys, and you'll usually only have one key at once, but each of the critical keys that you find will take up an inventory slot. Jill has access to a lockpick, but Chris doesn't, and there are doors that can only be opened by these special keys called old keys. That takes up an inventory slot. So you have very, very, very little to work with, and you can forget about just exploring and just picking up items, because you're going to run out of inventory space almost immediately if you go out with uh, a gun, some ammo, uh, your your some fuel to burn up the zombie bodies, a healing item, and an old key. Suddenly, you can only pick up one item, and you can't do the puzzle that you're setting out to do. Yeah, so for me, even though I had inventory slots more, like I had two more than you did as Jill, um, what I found myself doing a lot was I was always leaving the safe room with a very specific goal in mind, be it I'm going yep. to leave to clear out zombies, and if I did that, I would leave all my puzzle items you know, at the secret room um, and just take ammo and health and the lighter fluid and just go around clearing a path. And then after I cleared a path, I'd go back, put all my inventory back in my box and get out the puzzle items and then go through the safe route that I'd cleared with my stuff. You end up making these like exploratory runs too, where you don't really know what you have to do next. So you kind of just take, you know, some good guns, some healing um, and maybe leave one or two 
slots open for key items if you find them. But a lot of the time, you'll just identify where key items are, remember them in your head, and then, you know, come back once you're a bit sure that the coast is clear. See, I went one step further than you, James. But I will say your experience lines up with mine almost identically. And I think that that idea of having a plan for each run, each excursion you make from the safe room is critical. But I didn't try to remember things. I got a pen and paper and I Mm. wrote down things. So Resident Evil 1 has a map. And the map is pretty good. Um, it, the map will track if areas or rooms have items in them that you haven't picked up. They'll change color. And it will indicate to you if um, if doors are locked or unlocked, if you can get through them or can't... Sorry, if you can get through them without a key or if you need a key to get through them. But it doesn't track puzzles. It doesn't tell you what items are in the room. And it doesn't tell you what key you need for which door. So what I did, James, is I have these very shitty hand-drawn maps (laughs) and I've got all these notes all over it saying, okay, there's this puzzle here. Um, There's a herb that I wasn't able to pick up in this room here. Um, Or, you know, this, this door is this lock. So I know this is the sword lock and this is the armor lock. So that when I went on, and as I was doing my exploratory, in many cases, suicide missions, to gain information, I was writing all this information down. And once I'd done all that, I could make a plan. I could be like, huh, okay, now I know this. I can now be like, all right, I've got this key and there's this door over there. I'm going to go find out what's there and um, do whatever puzzle it is or kill the zombies or gather the resources or whatever it happened to be. And I found that to be a very effective you know, thing to do. And I would struggle to remember everything in my head. I mostly kept stuff in my head. Like, to be fair, I forgot a lot of stuff. Um, but you know, I tried as my best to keep it in my head, but like you, you know, you can't remember everything perfectly. Um, as a horror game, I think this idea of, you know, venturing out from your safe place into the unknown to get information and then to come back, um, and you know, like struggling to get every scrap, it kind of fits perfectly for me. Like I like this a lot, right? Like it's a, it's slow progress to begin with and you have to be very careful and deliberate and you know methodical but you know it's that was really engaging for me i i I thoroughly enjoyed this part of the game yeah there's a cohesion here right like everything works together yeah all these things we're talking about the limited save slots the limited inventory slots all these things they cohesively work together to create a gameplay experience that suits the atmosphere brilliantly and it it just it just works every single element now i will take some time to criticize a couple of these things because i want to be balanced um i didn't like that i had to draw a map so i think that there are two ways that this game should have gone it should have either had more information on the map or it should have had no map at all if you're going to have a map and your character is exploring this mansion and presumably mapping out as they go, they should be able to note that this door is a sword key door. Like you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't have to take that extra step uh, because the character can see that's a sword key door that should appear on the map. Or there should have been no map and you should have had to map it out yourself 
entirely on your own or it should have just been like a blank layout with no information whatsoever this kind of halfway map thing i don't think is a good idea um i didn't mind it as much as you did mainly because i I honestly i think i was able to keep it in my head a little easier um i kind of i don't really see a problem with having like you know because the doors will have certain special keys and the keys have special names for example uh, all the keys are based off like a part of a suit of armor so there's the helmet key the armor key the shield key and the sword key um, and I kind of think that once you touched a door, it could tell you, like, going forward on the map, which one that was. Like, I don't think that's too much information. I think there is a balance, though, right? Like, I think that the map should probably lean towards being minimalistic because mm. that exploration is, like, the major, most major component of the game to me. Um, and if you make it too easy, you remove a lot of the fun. But yeah, there is this level of quality of life that it's kind of, you know, maybe missing. The other thing is for Chris, um, you have, it's not just those keys. You also have doors that are locked, which are, you know, shortcut doors. This door cannot be open from this side kind of doors. And then for Chris, you've also got those old key doors where you need a specific old key item to open them. And so... When you when you go out on your exploratory mission, you need to know, like, should I take an old key with me um, and where am I going? And if it just has a bunch of red doors, how are you meant to remember which of the five potential doors it could be? Oh, and there's also other special doors, one or two other special doors that can only be opened with specific items. So it's a lot of doors to keep track in your head. So I, I think that that is a small quality of life thing that they should have included if they're going to have a map. Yeah, I think the key thing is fine. I think any more of any more than just the keys and, you know, whether there's items or not is too much. Um, yep. I'm almost on That's the, I'm also kind of on the fence about it telling you whether there are items in rooms, but to be honest, a lot of this game to me feels like an old school adventure game, like those point and click adventure games where you have key items and you need to use them in specific places. And I think that for a lot of people, and we've spoken about this on the show, those games can tend to be incredibly frustrating when you don't know what to do. And like to me, those kinds of games kept popping up in my head when I was playing this game because it's kind of, you know, you figuring out where to use key items. But here, because Resident Evil 1 is quite non-linear, like you can explore the mansion in a whole bunch of different ways, it never felt to me like I got stuck in a particular place where I didn't know what to do. Like if I just tried something, I'd probably advance. And because the map told me, you know, if there was a key item I missed in a certain room because the room was colored red, you know, I never would miss something. Something that we had a problem with in Silent Hill 2 was that sometimes key items were incredibly hard to miss, like they blended into the environment. Here, when you enter a room, the camera angle that the fixed camera is in usually points towards the key items and they even glow on the screen. So I never really had any of those kinds of issues while playing this game. And I think that the quality of life in both the map, you know, the direction of the camera and the, the shine made it really easy. Yeah, once you once you have done your full explore, you can almost always figure out what to do. That's yeah. that's what it boils down to. So you do your full explore. Also, the the level design of Resident Evil 1 is so much better than Silent Hill. Silent Hill regularly has these 
floors. It'll be like a hospital floor and it will be a long hospital floor and it's got 18 rooms on either side and you just go down this corridor moving from room to room. The Resident Evil Mansion in particular is extremely well connected and cleverly connected in interesting ways that evolves as you get more and more keys. It's it really is impressive. Uh, I I think the level design of the mansion is some of the most interesting, best level design I've seen in any game ever. In I'm, any game, I in com- any game, I yeah. completely agree, man. Like it's yeah. really impressive. Uh, like exploring this mansion is so satisfying because of like the non-linearity is awesome, and the way that it it feels very natural too. Something that I loved about this game when I did my playthrough was Jill. Um, is that you explore the mansion sort of in tandem with your partner, Barry. Um, and Barry is an NPC, and he the NPC model doesn't physically walk around the mansion. But what will happen is that in the game state, the game will you know track where it thinks Barry will be at any given time. And if you enter a room when Barry's in that room, it'll play a cutscene and you'll have a conversation. And you know, but if you get to that room when Barry's not there, you know he won't be there. And it made it feel very natural. And the level design, like, I feel like I could play this game a lot of times in it to be kind of fresh each time, right? Like, you'd improve, because you know, like, every time you play the game, you'd remember where key items are and different routes. You could tackle it in a whole bunch of different ways. It's very Metroidvania-like uh, in how in how you could, I won't, like, it doesn't have, I think you can improve your routing, absolutely, but there are some logical gates to your progress, usually the the key items unlocking the next level of keys. So it's not like unlimited freedom. You can't go in any direction, but you're correct in that your path through the mansion as you explore is unique to you. Your exact path and what you explore first will be your playthrough completely different from anyone else's, even though you are doing the same broad stroke objectives in the same order as any other player. Yeah, it's really, really fun. One of the um things I wanted to touch on with the level design, which I think elevates it beyond certain Metroidvanias, is the way the mansion evolves as yes. you play through it. This This is really something special. It isn't static. It's not just, so there are parts of it, this is what's so clever, there are parts of it that are, that do feel somewhat static, like the location of the zombies. It's like, you know that there are two zombies in this corridor, right? But as you play through the game, things happen that change how you interact with the mansion. That might be additional zombies bursting through the windows. I had one room, I don't know if this happens to everyone, that it was just this small sort of U-shaped room, kind of near where you had the shotgun. By the end of the game, there were five fucking zombies in that one U-shaped corridor. And I never wanted to go back to it, but I had to a couple of times. Yeah, this is like also my favorite part of the game. Uh, It's incredible. It's like what what will happen is like you'll go to this room and you'll spend lighter fluid to clear out the zombie and then in your head you're like this room is safe forever and then you'll enter the room and you'll walk through it and like as you said a zombie will burst through the window or something will charge through a door um, and it'll shake you to the your core you'll be like when this happens for the first time it kind of 
establishes this idea that you're never safe in this horror game right like you can never truly be safe in this mansion because things change all the time like new enemies can randomly appear based on the story um when i play a game i like you like you kind of subconsciously make these mental rules like the game has a set of rules and it will follow them for example because all of the rooms are separated by loading screens this means that zombies can't walk through the door um until you've played the game for two hours and they suddenly do right like i was constantly trying to make rules for what enemies could do or what the rooms would behave like and the game was constantly breaking the rules and being inconsistent and in a lot of games this would annoy the shit out of me but because this is a fucking survival horror game it's brilliant because there is this like there is this feeling of safety that you attribute to understanding the rules of the game, and I never had that while playing this game. Perhaps the best instance of this is that there's a door near the safe room, one of the safe rooms on the east side of the mansion, and when you, if you go through it, uh, that you know backwards too many times, the door handle breaks and yeah. it becomes a one-way door, and it is devastating because you've spent all this time figuring out the best route through the um through the mansion you know to because you've killed zombies and you strategically cleared this pathway and you know this way is pretty safe where you only have to dodge one zombie or whatever it is all of a sudden that door breaks and you put your head in your hands you're like oh what am i gonna do and that that was awful that to get through there i had to run past two dogs that burst through the glass because yeah. i didn't kill them <laughs> and i had to run past the five zombie room and i had to do it multiple times and every time i had to make this plan like i was like what do i do i like created a save and as i stocked up on some healing items and I went for it and failed and then tried again and finally got through. And it was very satisfying that the game kind of presented this experience and challenge. And how did it do that? It broke a doorknob. That's what the game did. It broke a doorknob <laughs> and it created this incredible experience. It's, it, it, was, it was very cool. I'm not even convinced that those loading screens between doors are even loading screens because there is this point in the game where a monster breaks down one of those doors and suddenly two rooms that are connected by a quote-unquote loading screen are now just joined together seamlessly. Uh, And I was like, this was like near the end of the game. I was like, what the hell? Like, this breaks everything I thought about the game's rules. Like, I was just like, what is going on here? Um, yeah, like you, I think this is like incredible and I'm surprised I haven't seen something like this in games before. It seems like such a small thing, but it makes, you know, the mansion have this sense of like believability as well, right? Like this feels like, you know, it's a real place where things can happen and evolve. Like it's time variant. I, I'm, it's just wonderful. I'm pretty sure it like makes logical sense as well, because I think the zom- the outside zombies disappear and they they move inside because i i definitely went outside early in the game and there were zombies there then when i went later there weren't and i was like did those two zombies that were outside did they are those (laughs) the the ones that came in and i like i don't know for sure but i think that must be it unless you know the game just was like we're going to remove them at some stage but i think it tracks and the two dogs that were near the chemical uh, that you use to kill the plant to get to the herbs, those are the ones that burst through the window when you go through that corridor. So, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a logical consistency to 
to the world as you go around. James, it's worth noting that there are areas other than the mansion, though, because everything we've talked about, all these level design um, things, are just the mansion, but the mansion isn't the whole thing. And as brilliant as the mansion is, unfortunately, in my opinion, the other levels and areas of the game are far less interesting than the mansion. Well, let's talk about that, but we should go to a music break, so let's do that. Um, Resident Evil soundtrack is pretty atmospheric for the most part. You know, Patrick, we've spoken a lot about these, you know, these lo- like droning soundtracks that just build atmosphere. How did you feel about it um, this time around? Loved it to pieces. So good. Yeah, of course you, you did. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I think Resident Evil, uh, so it's worth noting there are different soundtracks depending on the version you played. So we played, you know, the GameCube one. So that's the soundtrack we got. It's fantastic. Uh, it's it's very uh, it's very subtle uh, in a lot of areas, like particularly in the outdoor areas. It's just a lot of birds chirping and stuff. Um, the indoor areas tend to have, uh, you know, some off-putting synth music with some violins, but it's very, it's not like the shining intense violins. It tends to be a lot uh, more, more low key, but it makes you feel uneasy. Even in the very first area where you hear that ticking of that, that clock, you immediately put on edge and yeah, music's brilliant. One of the better soundtracks we've done for the show and it edges out, um, most of the ambient music like i'd put this soundtrack above thieves and quakes for example yeah i what i liked about it is it used a lot of real audio samples i felt like especially in the outdoors areas they just recorded a bunch of wind and some dogs howling um and they just played it and it sounded very you know believable uh and like there could be something around the corner i i quite liked it i i'm not super high on it like i don't think this is an incredible soundtrack but it definitely does the job um my favorite piece though was definitely the music that plays in the safe room um i think that the idea of the safe rooms being this like safe haven it worked perfectly for me like i loved returning to these rooms and feeling like i could finally breathe it was like ah my my save file it's safe um so i kind of associated this music with this warm feeling of safety so i kind of you know grew very fond of it as the game went on we we should also point out well james figured it out it's identical to the dark souls one character creation music like not identical but it sounds very similar it's close enough that either that miyazaki was very clearly to me referencing referencing resi one and i think that now that i've played resi one i think dark souls definitely takes some design cues from resi one uh i mean it always had metroidvanias in mind and there's that link as well but there's there's something similar about the brutality uh and the raw difficulty of the games that i think i think speaks to me i worry that we just have dark souls on the brain patrick <laughs> Dude, nothing it, new, trust but... me listen <laughs> listen to listen to the dark souls character creation music because i did it after you pointed it out it's it's uncannily similar so yeah, it is uh, of course i loved it Yeah, actually, so let's just play that now. So this is the safe room music.
that was the music that plays in the safe room and i really liked it uh, as the game went on you know throughout the entire time it was my it was the sound of comfort the sound of safety the sound of you know breath of fresh air from the horrors of the mansion patrick you wanted to talk about the level design that you didn't think was quite as good as the mansion which was you know the outside areas um where did you want to start so um there are a few other areas in the game um the surrounding areas of the mansion because the entire game doesn't take place in the mansion although that is where you will spend most of your time uh particularly since the early hours of the game end up being a sh- more of a struggle so i think you just naturally will spend more time there for a first time playthrough uh the area that i thought was fine was the residence like the, that had the believe it or not a uh, a shark tank underneath yeah. it um <laughs> but i was quite disappointed with the with the tunnels in particular and even and even the i think it's like the courtyard or the area leading to the shack were just long linear um long linear crawls and even the residence was still a fairly linear experience uh i will say it wasn't like awful but it felt like it felt like i was going from 10 out of 10 some of the best level design i'd seen in my life to like 7 out of 10 level design and i wonder if there was a better way to build these areas so that they more ingeniously looped back into the mansion because there are a couple of connection points for the mansion, but it doesn't end up being nearly as interconnected as I think it could be. I'm not sure that they're supposed to be giving you the same like vibes. Like I think that the long walk to the shack out when you're out in the open is kind of tense, right? Like you, I felt really exposed when I was doing that long linear path, and I think that was kind of the point. I think that was okay. I agree with you that the caves are probably the weakest part of the game. I don't think, you know, they're particularly interesting to explore. They're very linear. The puzzles aren't as good as elsewhere in well, the So mansion. very brown. Very like brown. Not, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're in a bunch of caves. Um, I thought that the residents and the the lab were quite decent. I enjoyed the lab, you know, it's probably the most out of all of the self-contained areas. Um, the the lab as a final area has kind of earned its right to be a bit more linear because you're you're in the denouncement you know you're in the final final confrontation i think residence felt just like a linear area you kind of moved forward did this thing open this door moved forward did this thing open this door and it was you know kind of an interesting place but it didn't give me those Metroidvania vibes. It felt far less strategic with how I was approaching it. Yeah, it's. I kind of agree with you that there's nothing really wrong with these areas. It's just that when compared to the brilliance of the mansion, they do feel a little flat. Um, like, the mansion's just so fucking good, right? Like, when you come mm. back to these, like, pretty standard level layouts, it's just kind of, like, disappointing in comparison. But overall, I didn't dislike them. They were just not, you know, held to the same high standard um, as the rest of the mansion, in my opinion. Hmm. What I there's another thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, I think the experience playing this game in the first six six to eight hours when you're exploring the mansion is the best part of the game, and I think that it continues to be strong. But I think it does become. In general, it it doesn't finish as strongly as it starts, even though even though it's still good throughout. Part of the reason for this, I think, is you becoming 
stronger. You, If you're playing with any sort of uh, survivor horror sense, you're not just immediately expending all of your shotgun bullets on the first zombie you see or all of your magnum bullets on the first zombie you see. So that when you enter the late game and you return to the mansion, all of a sudden it's much less scary than it was the first time around. Even though the threat level that you're facing goes up significantly. Um, the second part of the mansion, your return to the mansion, you have these enemies called hunters who are super fast and jump at you and are deadly. But if you have saved your ammo for them, you can just kind of kill them with your magnum and you've got enough bullets to do so. So I found that the game got less scary and less interesting as it goes on. And part of that is that, you know, we talk about how enjoyable it is avoiding the zombies, but fighting the zombies is not very interesting. Like you're just kind of holding down a trigger, shooting them, running back a few steps, rinse and repeat. And I think the game suffers when it turns more into a game about killing enemies as opposed to avoiding them. I think that Resident Evil 7 does the same thing. So I think this is definitely by design, but the game becomes more of an action game than a survival horror game in the end. Like, I think it's supposed to make you feel like there's a sense of progression, like you're getting stronger, you've learned your lesson, like you're, you're way better at handling the controls as well, like you've gotten better. You've just gotten better at playing the game um, mm. and all your saving has kind of paid off. However, like you, I also enjoyed this less. Like, I get what it's going for and I don't really fault it for doing what it did. But at the same time, I enjoyed the start of the game more than the end because of this as well. So I don't really know if you can do this any other way, to be honest. Um, you can maybe make a second mansion and just have you do the same, you know, scary thing all over again. But I don't know, you know, I don't necessarily fault this game for doing it this way. So, so what you what the game is lacking to me is that the combat, you know, the shooting of the enemies is intrinsically kind of bland and uninteresting, right? I disagree. I actually disagree. It, okay, I'll, t I'll tell you my experience and then you can tell me what it was like. I, I found that when I had limited ammo, th that concept was interesting. But when I was fighting the hunters at the end, it was aim my gun and press the trigger and the hunter died. There's a second hunter coming. All right, I'm just going to stand in place, hold down right trigger, press A to shoot. And I want to draw a comparison to a game I haven't even played, but which I've watched uh, playthroughs of, Resident Evil 2 Remake. So the Resident Evil 2 remake, instead of having third-person fixed camera, you know, just hold down a button and shoot in the direction of the enemy, has aiming. So you can aim for a zombie's head, you can aim for limbs, usually the legs, to dismember them and slow them down. But Patrick, this game has that too. Yeah, you've got it. You've got aiming at critical critical spots. I know that you can aim up and down, but aiming with a controller or a mouse and keyboard specifically for a head or aiming for legs to shoot limbs off is far more interesting and fun than the limited aiming system that you get okay, in this game. Okay, so let's 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 talk about the combat because I actually disagree with you here by quite a like a large amount. I think there is a good amount of nuance to this combat um, that I learnt while playing this game. So to give okay. you guys an explanation of how it works is that when you're running around, your gun is down. 
um, and then you can hold down one of the triggers, and when you hold down the trigger, your character will bring up their gun and snap kind of to like aiming towards the closest enemy, right? And then if you press fire, they'll shoot. Um, you can also hold up and like while you're holding the trigger and you've got your gun raised, you can hold up and down to have your character change the angle um, that they're shooting at. Now, to begin with, I kind of only just shot for the chest every single time, but then I realized that you can do a whole bunch of little things with timing and angles um, that make it a bit more interesting than it like first is. For example, if you have just a pistol and you don't have much ammo, what you can do is you can wait for a zombie to get quite close to you, and then you can shoot them in the leg, and then their leg will give way and they'll fall to the floor. So if you're not good at dodging zombies, you can you, you use like one bullet to knock them to the ground and then get around them. Um, there's also the concept of headshots that uh, exist in this game. So whenever you shoot a zombie, just like in like even if you're aiming them at the chest, there is a small chance that it will shoot them in the head. Their head will explode, and that will not only instantly kill the zombie, um, but it will mean you don't have to burn their body. Like this zombie is dead for good. They're not going to come back as a crimson head later. So you know every time you get a critical hit, it feels amazing because you don't have to spend resources. Like you've just saved yourself like eight bullets and like a kerosene. It's amazing. Um, something that you can do with the shotgun and I think a couple of other guns is that you can wait until the very last second of their attack animation and then aim up and shoot and it'll generally blow their head off, albeit if you get the timing wrong you'll get hit. So I think that there is more to this combat than you first see. Like it's not like hugely in depth but I did enjoy you know, making use of the materials I had, and I did learn to get better at it. So I did find it, you know, on some levels to be quite enjoyable. Okay, you raised a couple of, th like, I was unaware that you could shoot a zombie in the leg to stag them. That, and that would have been very, very useful yeah. as I was struggling <laughs> with some areas. So that's a fair point. And you're right, there is more depth to it than I gave it credit for in my description. That being said, I still don't think it's very interesting. Auto-aim for your shooters is not going to be very fun, and I'd much rather aim at the zombies and shoot them in the head and shoot them in the limbs, and I think that that provides an experience way better than anything present in Resident Evil. I liked the idea of the zombies and the dogs and, well, not the hunters, because that time I'd been, you know, shooting them, but I liked the idea of these things as obstacles, um, things I had to avoid. When I was in a position to deal with them, they became far less interesting because it was just a cleanup patrol. I had plenty, plenty of ammo. I had plenty of time and I didn't find it very difficult to execute zombies once I decided to execute them. So I, I don't know. To, to me, that was that was one of the areas in which this game was weakest, but it, to me, that's not what the game is really about. It's not about your combat against the zombies. It's about all of the context that leads to your interaction with the zombies. And that's actually where most of the gameplay lies. So I can forgive my lack of enjoyment of this intrinsic combat because it's really a minor element of the overall gaming experience. Yeah. And I like I enjoyed it overall, honestly. I thought that it was satisfying to pull off like some tricky stuff. Um, I liked, you know, the idea of running around zombies being a bit more difficult than just, you know, 
you know, holding your stick in a direction. You had to time your running and, you know, try to aim towards their back. I think that, you know, you versus a zombie as a whole, you know, not just the shooting is really fun. But kind of like you, near the end of the game when I had, you know, uh, 30 magnum shots and there was like 18 enemies left in the game and you kind of just one-shot every enemy with a magnum mm. bullet. It's kind of boring and it removes all the tension that was there. Um, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, this is a horror game, um, mm -hmm. and we played previously Silent Hill 2. And when I've played both Silent Hill 2 and when I played Resident Evil 7, there was parts that I found genuinely difficult to keep playing because I felt like I genuinely felt afraid to keep playing the game. Um, I never really felt that while playing Resident Evil 1. What was your experience with the whole like horror and tension? Yeah, it, it's quite interesting, isn't it? So we've spent most of our time talking about gameplay and how as a gameplay experience, it's tense and frightening. And I think that the reason it doesn't hit the same notes that a game like Silent Hill 2 does is that its story and setting is complete fucking nonsense. <laughs> like, there's some interesting stuff under the under the hood, particularly with Umbrella and their secret plans that you gradually uncover. But it was so obvious to me playing through this game that it was a gameplay space. And there are a couple of effective jump scares, like really effective jump scares. And I think that it does a brilliant job creating this atmosphere, but it never moved into horrifying for me because I couldn't believe, ever believe I was doing anything other than playing a game because it's so... Because it, it's impossible to believe that this is a real place. Yeah, I think that the tension wasn't nowhere near as tense as other horror games that I've played in this game. Nowhere near. Like, it has a good atmosphere when you're playing it. Like, And I think a lot of the tension does come from, you know, the mechanics of the game. The tension yep. of being afraid of losing your save, of lose, using too much ammo, of not knowing where to go. Um, all of that made me a little bit, like, on edge and worried. But I would never say I was afraid while playing this game. Part of the issue is, you know, when we, when we played Silent Hill 2, I, I wrote an article about this. I think that the gameplay of Silent Hill 2 kind of works against the atmosphere it's trying to portray in that I was often horrified when I'd first enter areas. And then as I was running back and forth through the same corridor eight times looking for the one item I'd missed, um, the, the tension kind of drained and evaporated away because the gameplay of opening doors trying to find an item which is what it gradually became was working against this atmosphere it was trying to create um resident evil doesn't suffer from that problem the the gameplay reinforces the atmosphere but the setting of silent hill 2 is so much more twisted and disturbing that you believe in the world of silent hill 2 more than you believe in the world of resident evil like the world of Resident Evil is, it just, it, the, the mansion is just a nonsense location. It, it doesn't feel real, and they haven't tried to make it feel real, which is which is okay. But Silent Hill 2 does feel like the twisted reflection of a person's psyche. And so you you become drawn in and absorbed into it. I'm very conflicted on the story in this game, because I either think that it's either perfect, or it's like the opposite of perfect and it's like the worst possible thing it's like it's kind of in this middle space between being a serious game and being a really like cheesy campy game 
like story wise like like lots of the characters dialogue is kind of silly almost but not too silly so it was never like campy enough for me to laugh out loud at but it was never serious enough for me to believe it. And I'm not sure that it needed to be more serious or more campy. I, I couldn't put my finger on it. There was just something that didn't sit right with me about the story of this game. So there are a few things that kind of really annoyed me about the story. And this may seem like a minor thing, but one of the big things was whenever you were interacting with characters in a cutscene or whatever there was this weird delay on the cuts between the angles. I don't I don't know if you noticed this, but no. a character would start speaking, there would be like a quarter second loading and then it would cut to the next character and then they'd start speaking and it made the dialogue feel incredibly unnatural. Like it never felt like people just having a normal tempo conversation. It was like each line of dialogue was recorded in isolation and stitched together. So it was incredibly disconcerting for me and hard to get get into it. And I want to I want to make the distinction between this and like the dialogue in Silent Hill 2 was also a bit disconcerting for the way it was paced and framed, but that was like deliberate. Like that added yes. to the atmosphere of the game. Like yes. the characters seemed weird like there was something going on inside their heads that wasn't quite right that's not the case here it's like like a direction misstep instead the dialogue is terrible like you didn't get to experience this brilliant bit of dialogue but um there's a there's a piano puzzle uh which i assume jill can play the piano right yeah so chris can't play the piano so he gets to the room and he starts awkwardly pressing a few keys and then rebecca appears who's your one of your companions and she says she can play so she starts playing moonlight sonata on the piano and then she stuffs up a note and chris is like poor that was terrible can't you do better than that? And I was like, what is going on? This You can't play piano at all, and you're giving her grief for <laughs> stuffing up a note when she's just playing it from a piece of music. And this sort of shit happened all the time. There's like this weird disconnect from the reality of that situation in a lot of these interactions on the side. I think it's supposed to be campy, but it's not yeah, like... Yeah, it needed to lean heavier into it, though. I, I feel like... Honestly, when I've seen some of the terrible PlayStation 1 cutscenes, I think I would have enjoyed those more. <laughs> it's not like Metal Gear campy, like the characters are all overacting and it's super silly. It's not like that. It's like they're still trying to make this place you can believe in, but it doesn't quite get there for me. Uh, I, I think I would have preferred it to go harder in one of the directions, like pick a direction um, and take it harder. Like there was maybe one time in the game where i laughed because it was like not taking itself too seriously was with that um you know that diary that talks what like that records that guy turning into a zombie oh my and god by the it's end, so bad it's by the end the diaries like what he's writing is the equivalent of like mm, brains and it's like really absurd because mm, he shouldn't me, be able me to eat dog food something something yeah, like that right something yeah. like that it's like I could get behind the whole game being that stupid, and I could get behind the whole game being super serious, but this weird middle ground where it doesn't do either particularly well, I don't really like. Um, I think it could do better here. In a general sense, I really don't like campy horror stuff that much. We were talking about this on our Discord server, and I was like, I just don't get it, because it seems to me that 
it just completely undercuts all the tension. I don't know. Something like The Thing works for me. Like, it's kind of overacted. And I, don't, I wouldn't say that of The Thing. I wouldn't say The Thing is campy. I, I don't think that's a fair description for that. No? I can't take something like that serious. It's so silly. Okay, I um The Thing the thing worked for me just as a straight horror. And yes, the special effects, uh, while brilliant for that time, probably don't seem as brilliant today. But, um... There's a scene in the thing. I know we're talking about the thing now, but I need to explain this. There's a scene in the thing where they're getting um, that blood test done. Yeah, that one's. Great. I don't know if you know that one. And it's just, it's just them in a room as they slowly, you know, um, get get a pin to prick their blood, and it's filled with tension and it's horrifying and it's brilliant. And I don't know. I I wouldn't describe the thing as campy. I think it's just legit, consistently horrifying. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't like I don't like how the story undercuts the atmosphere so much. But you are right. If it had gone extreme, I probably would have enjoyed it more. Also, the characters aren't super interesting either. Like I feel like in ninety percent of the cutscenes that Jill was in, she just said Barry, and that was the entire <laughs> like she just said Barry, you're here, and that's like it. And then the other characters would talk for me. I don't know if Chris was like that, but, you know, she barely ever said anything, you know, to give herself any personality. And I couldn't really tell if that was because, you know, you're supposed to have agency of this character. So, I don't know. I I found none of the characters to be particularly interesting. Like, to me, this is a gameplay game with some cutscene on the side for context. Like, I you know, don't care at all for the story here. This was, for me, the weakest part of the game. Uh, Most of the dialogue interactions Chris has is running up to someone and asking if they're okay, and the person says, no, I'm not okay because this happened, and Chris said, I'll deal with it. Or... I do does for Jill's playthrough, does she see Wexer much? Is it Wexer? West Wesker. Yeah. Wesker, yeah, there it is. Yeah. Chris runs into Wesker a fair bit and Wesker's his commanding officer. So Wesker's like, Yep, I think you need to keep exploring the mansion and Chris is like, Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, I, I really only saw, I saw Wesker once, um, and then near the end again. Um, but really only spoke with Barry and it was like Barry saved me from the ceiling that was collapsing. And then he said, you almost became a Jill sandwich. And I didn't laugh. <laughs> I was like, nice. It was like, Haha. I don't know. I didn't get Brilliant. it. Yeah, it wasn't good Yeah, so me. so the, the story is not why you play this game. Unlike, you know, something like Silent Hill 2, where the story is the only reason you play this game. It's this kind is of the a, opposite, isn't it? It's like, this it is. is a brilliant gameplay game. And that's like a brilliant story game. Yeah. Um, James, let's have another music break. Uh, we're going to play my piece of music now, which, and the one I've gone for, um, I've decided to break tradition and not pick ambient droning. Um, I wanted to pick zombie attack. And you first hear this when, um, where a zombie surprises you out of nowhere in a, um, as you've gone into this, uh, closet like area, um, right at the start of the game. And it is incredibly good at building tension and making you feel terrified as the zombie slowly walks towards you with nowhere to go. I particularly want to highlight, I think that it sounds like a thumping heart. And as that zombie is approaching you, your heart is thumping. And I think it does a great job of it. So this is zombie attack.
that was zombie attack uh i agree that it was quite good I, I, honestly all the music's pretty good i i didn't stick with me but i never there was never a piece that i thought was bad um so can we talk about the visuals of this game because yes holy shit this game looks fucking incredible and it came out in like 2002 because the the graphics in this game are quite special because 90% of the game is pre-rendered, right? Like, they've pre-rendered everything, made a static image, and then just animated the characters on top of it with a couple of extra 3D visual effects sprinkled in for good measure. And because they've done this, right, they've pre-rendered these gorgeous-looking backgrounds and environments and then spent 90% of the console's processing power on the character models... This game still looks really good, like, in the, you know, in 2021. I still thought that the mansion looked incredible, and some of the, you know, the game runs with a fixed camera. Some of the framing of shots is just incredible. This game, you know, visually blew me away. I, I loved it. It's um, it's similar to what uh, Siberia does, a point-and-click adventure game we did, which we were we were very high on the um on the visuals of that because yeah, by using pre-rendered backgrounds, you get a far higher graphical fidelity than would otherwise be possible, and I completely agree with James. Uh, those if you play a game with fixed camera angles like Devil May Cry three. The camera angles they go for are functional. You know, this is a this is a fighting game, so we're going to position the camera so you can clearly see all the enemies and kill them. Resident Evil 1 isn't interested in the most functional uh, camera angles. It gives you the most interesting camera angles, and there are so many good unique ones it does james and i pretty much both uh picked the picked out our favorite one at the exact same time and it's shot from like knee level tilted upwards going through a long corridor and just as you move around the mansion when you move from a room and get you these four different camera angle cuts most of the time they're all really interesting and unique and it's um just from a from an aesthetic standpoint alone it is beautiful yeah I love the 3D visual effect. The pre-rendered backgrounds would look so dead and lifeless without the little extra touches that they lay over them, right? Like, even in the very first room you're in, there's like a marble floor, and it's reflective. Like, you can see your characters walking on top of it back and forth, and, you know, there's a bit of lighting coming outside, and there's, there's some rain, like, on the windows... Uh, and there's flames, like, on these candles that are flickering around, and it makes it feel, like, lifelike, right? Like, in some games that have pre-rendered backgrounds only, um, I think maybe FF7 comes to mind that I've played, um, it can look a bit, like, you can really tell that it's just a flat image with a character on top. Like, here... I can totally believe that this is a real environment that I'm walking around. It never broke my immersion because it just does it so seamlessly. Um, I I love the visuals in this game to bits, right? Like those camera yeah, angles I are just gorgeous. On that note of the environments looking realistic, it does a lot with subtle movements in the environment. Um, like that gallery, that area we were in before, eventually some crows move in and they're ever so slightly twitching back and forth or you might see um you might see a there's this great shot where you walk into a room and you can see just the edge of something swinging in front of your camera because you're you're face towards the camera from that shot 
And then as you move forward, you see it's a body. Someone's hung themselves. Yeah. And they're just swinging backwards. Yeah, and, and when you walk into that room for the first time, you're like, oh, shit, there's a zombie there. But then, like, it's not moving towards you. And you can't hear the sound of the zombie because the sound design in this game is fucking great, too. But usually when you walk into a game, you can, into a room, you can, like, hear zombies before you can see them because when you walk Mm. into a room the camera angle is always facing your character at the door so you can see like five percent of the room and you have this tense feeling because you have to walk forward to make the camera angle change but like there could be a zombie like an inch from you and you don't know like it works to build the tension as well i like that and there's these cool these really cool corridors where the fa- their camera angle is in a set position and there are all these mirrors on the wall and you can only see zombies through the mirrors around the corners um because of this you know these 3d reflections that they've got going on i just they do so much with the camera angle um, and the pre-rendered backgrounds that just make this game, you know, still look good today. Like, out of everything in this game, like, the visuals just have stood the test of time absolutely, right? Yeah, I, I want to highlight a couple of really good jump scares as well. Probably the best one in the entire game is um, you open the door and the camera is facing towards you, so you're on the other side of the door, and then you see a spider kind of crawl from the roof behind you on yeah. the door. And it's just like... I I said that I was never scared in this game. I literally screamed when that yeah. happened. And, and the thing is, if the game didn't have fixed camera angles that would not have been possible. This is this is one of the really thing big things I want to emphasize. There are design choices in this game that you do not see anymore. People just have dismissed them because they're like we've we've you know why would you do fixed camera angles? Why would you do tank controls? All of these things provide a good experience that you cannot experience anywhere else. This I have never played a game like this before. And I can't play a game like this before like this in the modern age because all of these things have been dismissed out of hand. It it was truly remarkable. Like I I don't know. It to, to me it maybe this is obvious to a lot of people and probably is. I mean Resi 1 is acknowledged as a masterpiece and their f- favorite game by many people, but for me it was a revelation. Yeah. Um I have heard people so Donkey did a review of um, Resident Evil recently, and I went back and watched it after I finished the game. And he refers to the controls as outdated, and it makes me so angry because this game would not work without those controls. Like, to me, the idea of something being outdated is an experience thing, right? Like, these people made a game and it was the first in its genre, and because, you know, the genre was new, they didn't really know, you know, what best things to include in the game, right? Like, if they had made this game 20 years later, they would change everything. I don't think that's the case here with the controls and the fixed camera angles. Like, these are integral parts of the game right these they're deliberate they're deliberate they're timeless to me because they make the game and it's a good experience even today like it's an incredible experience like i've never like you i've never played a game you know that has this many you know disparate elements that 
on their own like should be bad things right like to me when i think of fixed camera angles i think of you know metal gear solid 3 and how they fixed that with subsistence but here disagree on that by the way but do you okay yeah so so just just a brief side note listen i can understand someone enjoying subsistence more but metal gear solid 3 is similar to this game in that the game gave you a lot of tools to make up for the limited camera angles like it gave you the um the noise detector and everything so that was deliberate as well and i think something was lost with the with the changes to the camera Metal Gear Solid 3 subsistence is a great game like i've, I've played both and i've enjoyed both but it wasn't it wasn't just like bad design they they had something in mind with the original Metal Gear Solid 3 do you agree with me with the idea that if you walked up to a random person and you talked about things like fixed camera controls, tiny inventories, lots of backtracking, clunky controls, like most people would react like negatively to these things. But yes. here, these are all fucking wonderful things. These are incredible. They all work together perfectly to create a brilliant experience. And I'm like, holy shit, why haven't I played this game before? Very impressive. Um, do do you have um? I've got a couple of minor notes that I've missed that I want to touch on, James. Unless you've got um a big a big topic to dive into. Um, not really. I'd I kind of want to talk about our experience, like I guess near the end of the episode where we talk about the differences in our playthroughs, because I think that'll be fascinating. But if you wanted to go onto some big picture things, go for it. Well, one of the things I wanted to touch on was um some more specifics about the inventory management because i think that overall i think it's a good good thing how limited inventory slots are like even with chris with just six inventory slots but there is a downside and that downside is um inventory tedium so when you play with such limited item slots there are resources in the world that you need to be able to pick up. And there's this constant tension of, do I pick up this resource or do I remember it for later? When you do an exploratory run with a goal and there are some items along the way and there's no threats, so you can go get the items and return them to your safe room and lock them in your box safely. And then you die later on. You have this awkward thing where you kind of are just gathering some resources safely and you have to do that every single time you die and particularly early on in the game i was doing a lot of dying (laughs) so while i i just want to add a note of criticism not not a note of criticism but i guess a acknowledgement of the downsides of this inventory system while restricting inventory slots does lead to a good experience overall there is definitely an element of tedium when you're just trying to gather resources and you have to repeatedly do this gathering of resources if you die. And I wasn't really a fan of that. It just felt like busy work. Like I knew what to do. It wasn't challenging to do, but I had to do it every single time I did a run. This was most noticeable in the residence for me. Um, and the the caves when because like in the mansion when you're dodging zombies and making these clever paths back and forth through your safe room like the act of getting you know something from a room and taking it back to the safe room is a meaningful encounter 
Um, you have yep. to plan for these encounters and you have to do it, you know, right. In the residence, once you've cleared out all the enemies, you know, there's never going to be... Because, like, while the mansion is super reactive and stuff changes all the time, the residence doesn't do that. So you reach this point where you're completely not threatened by anything, but because, you know, you have to run back and forth. And I think this is a problem with the location of the safe room in particular. Like, there's a second typewriter in the residence near the boss room um but there isn't a chest in that room and if there was a chest in that room i think that a lot of the tedious busy work of that area would be alleviated um mm -hmm. secondly i think that when you interact with a typewriter if you, there is a chest in the same room it should let you use ink ribbons from the chest you shouldn't <laughs> have to grab them from the chest because what yeah. happens is you get the ink ribbons, and you can you have to take all of them at once. So you put them in your inventory, you go to the typewriter, you save, and then you immediately, upon loading your save, have to interact with the chest, put the ink ribbon in, take a meaningful item out, and then leave. So I was actually making, like, save states with my emulator um, after saving um, so that I didn't have to mess around with the ink ribbons after loading a save. I thought that was kind of unnecessarily annoying because it doesn't add any decision making or anything like the normal exploration with the limited inventory slots do it's just kind of annoying yeah i i did i did the exact same cheat um i uh i basically saved did all my inventory fiddling and then created a save state because as james said it's just unnecessary busy work that could get very frustrating if you're dying over and over again yeah like you already get like if you die you're already punished by having to do all the stuff again and i'm fine with that um i'm completely fine with you know having to explore the rooms again because you'll probably do it a bit faster anyway um but you know like silly busy work like that's not doesn't add anything to the experience yeah so i i just wanted to bring that up as like a acknowledgement of the realities of the system like for the most part, I think everything works really well cohesively, but there are drawbacks to these things. And the consequence of this system is there is some tedious busy work involved. And I think that that just goes hand in hand with the limited inventory management. You have to accept that that's part of the cost you pay to have this system. Yeah, and I mean, you had that worse than me because I had two extra slots, which oh, yeah. I think was, uh, you know, probably... <laughs> Pretty tedium alleviating in a lot of cases. You can see why I was drawing maps, right? Like, it, I think that with less inventory slots, you're more incentivized to have a clearer idea of where everything is because I just couldn't afford to have as many, as many options. Like, often I would leave without a healing item. Like, I, I just wouldn't take one with me because I couldn't afford to have that healing item on me. Yeah. Or I would, in the early game, I stashed my handgun for for parts of the early game. I was like, I just don't need the gun with me. I'm not trying to kill any zombies. <coughs> and, or I would, uh, I'd take the shotgun out, but I would take no spare ammo. <laughs> you know, you, you got it. Well, this is the thing. When you've got that that those kinds of limited slots, those are the decisions you need to make. And those are good things. Like, I, I don't think it's bad that I had to toss up the risk reward of having a healing item versus a shotgun but that's just how you got to play um if you're perhaps when you're you know speed running this game or whatever you just know what you need all the time but for me it was it was a tough juggle to figure out what what items i needed do you think this is a game that you would get a lot of value out of replaying 
Um, I think that the main reason I'm not going to go and replay this is that there's seven other Resident Evil games to play now, right? <laughs> yeah. And I know they're not all as good as one another, but I know for, at the very least, number two is extremely highly regarded. So I, to answer your question, yes, I, I absolutely... I mean, you just play the other character, right? Yeah. If nothing else. You, you're guaranteed two, two playthroughs. But I wouldn't choose to replay this over exploring other Resident Evil games in this series at this point. There's just too many RE games. I think that I was actually kind of lazy this fortnight, right? Like um, last weekend, um, the open beta for Guilty Gear Strive was out and I wanted to play that quite a lot. So I spent my whole weekend playing the open beta um, and then I didn't actually start playing Resident Evil until like the Sunday afternoon. Um, And, you know... I was told that this game would be about eight hours long. I spent about 15 hours in this game, and I think you yep. probably did that too. I agree. Yeah, I think... Yeah, the 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 how long to beat lies. I, I do not understand how anyone who has never played this game before could get through it in six hours. I think that's rubbish. Like, there's just... When when you start playing this game, you are so lost and confused. Like, it's really unclear. And then as you move into the mid-game, it... It, it picks up a lot, but th- th- it's just too touch and go in those early hours for you to breeze through. For them. comparison, in this game, if you beat the game in under two hours, you unlock a rocket launcher with infinite ammo um, on your save slot. So the game itself knows that if you know what you're doing, you can beat it very quickly, um, you know, like two hours. There's a huge difference uh, I think that replaying this game would be really fun. And honestly, if I hadn't been lazy and I'd started playing this like on the Monday of the fortnight, or the first Monday, I think I would have tried to play Chris as well because I had so much fun on my first playthrough. I actually wanted to play it again, like on finishing it. Yeah, and I think that's a, I, I think that's something I could see myself doing, if not for the fact that there are other Resi games yeah, to play now, yeah. which I'm now very interested in. Um, one of the things we haven't talked about is the puzzles. How did you feel about the puzzles in this game, James? So for me, I think they erred on the side of being a bit too easy for me to really love them. But I found them enjoyable in general. Like, they're all very clear-cut in what you should be doing. Like, I never got, like, stumped and frustrated. They were all very different from one another. Um, And, you know, sometimes there was, like, a lot of creativity behind them. Like, there was this one where you had to use statues to stop these closing doors. I liked that. Um, On the whole, I enjoyed them, and they definitely added to the experience for me. Um, but I would have liked some trickier ones as well to, you know, make me think a bit harder. Um, there's a recurring motive that I was kind of aware of going in because I'd watched this playthrough of Resident Evil 1 like five years ago, which is that there are fake items and real items and you need to put the fake item in the real item slot or vice versa so you can get the real item and use it where you should be using it. Um, and I kind I kind of liked that. I kind of liked how it was used over and over and over again because you could tell like the architect has this really cool idea of what makes a good puzzle, and he just uses it repeatedly. Like it's the broken shotgun, it's the crest, even the stupid lure puzzle with mm. you know the bee and uh, the broken flamethrower, and it it just keeps getting used repeatedly over and over again. Um, I liked that the puzzles were simple. I thought that 
if you make the puzzles too complicated or require you to, or if there were like multi-room puzzles, it would have pushed the inventory management to breaking point. The fact that they were all self-contained was like perfect. Like okay. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, like some of them were good. Um, I overall, like I think this game is a better game for their inclusion by like a lot. I think they break up the pacing you know um you know when you've been exploring and shooting zombies for a while it's nice to have you know this little fun puzzle to you know um break things up i i I enjoyed their inclusion um something that they do a lot that i didn't realize that the game did i actually had to look this up the first time maybe it's in the manual but you'll get these items in your inventory and when you click on them in your inventory, one of the things you can do is click examine and it'll mm. like zoom in on the item as a 3D model and you can rotate it and look at it. Um, but you can press examine again and sometimes um, like if you're looking at a book and you rotate the book to the bit where you would open the book and you press examine, it'll open the book. Like, you can interact with these objects in your inventory. Like, there'll be these little boxes that have buttons all over them, and you need to look at the box, rotate it, and, like, click on the buttons. And I didn't realize you could do this at first, but I actually thought it was really fun and immersive. I quite liked this inclusion. You must have been so confused by the first aid box. You're like, why can't I use this? I think by the time I got that, I would figured out what was going on. Okay. It was... The thing that got me was the, the, the arrow with the arrowhead, like... In the cemetery, Ah, you're supposed to put the arrowhead in the slot. But I was, like, trying to use the arrow on the... And it wasn't working. I was like, what's going on? It is definitely the arrow I need to use to get through this tour. I have to admit, I tried to use the arrow on the painting because it says, you know, this thing will happen when he gets pierced through with a sword. I'm like, an arrow is kind of like a sword. Maybe I need to, like, push it against the painting. (laughs) And then I felt very stupid when I figured it out. (laughs) That puzzle was good. I liked that one. Yeah, Um, I, I liked the puzzles being simple. You know, to me, anything more like it kind of tops out in complexity with that x-ray puzzle at the end of the game and i think i think that was fine i liked having the puzzles i liked them being very simple and i don't think i would have enjoyed them being more complicated and i would have hated if there was like multi-room shenanigans going on that would have been um, a massive design mistake they felt like escape room puzzles to me like half (laughs) of them felt like you know you've got a very you've got everything you need and you've got a very clear you know direction on what to do for the puzzle Uh, you know they were good that's 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 a fair analogy yeah um did you want to talk a bit about our uh playthrough uh, experiences particularly i'm interested to know uh what ending you got james so i got the and we're going to go into full spoiler territory of course um so you know bear in mind i think you have probably figured out what our opinions of this game are as a whole so you know if you want to you know play the game without spoilers well there you go that's the episode but for me i actually got the good ending where i saved everyone um there was this point like halfway through the game near the altar where you fight Lisa as a boss fight um, where Barry kind of pulls a gun on you and you kind of disarm him and then the boss fight starts and you have this option of giving him his gun back or not I think like the first time I was like fuck this guy I'm not giving him his gun Um, and then he dies and drops this photo of his family and it's like so forced and stupid 
Um, and then I died to the boss, so I reloaded and was like, I want to see what happens if I save him. So I kind of like, because I died, I locked my way into the good ending there. <laughs> so I got the one of the bad endings. Um, Did you? So so your companion, there, there were a couple of things I, I wasn't able to do, and I felt I should just live with my decisions that, rather than try and reload. So the first one is you encounter a Stars Bravo member. This isn't related to the ending, but I think it's worth bringing up because uh, it's a similar kind of thing. And he's been bitten by the snake. D- did that happen to you? Yeah, I also yeah. didn't save him because what happened was they told me where the antidote room was and the antidote room was like near all of these doors that I hadn't explored. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to explore all these rooms. And then he died of poisoning. So I'd... um. <laughs> I'd unlocked that safe room, like I had it, but I hadn't unlocked the lower level access to it. So the only way to get it... So when I got to that area where the serum was, I did what you did and I explored. And then when I got back, he was dead. I was like, well, that was stupid of me. And then later on, there's a situation where um, where Rebecca gets attacked by a hunter and you need to get to her room in time or she gets killed by a hunter and I didn't know where she was, so I kind of wandered around, and there were hunters <laughs> everywhere. And when I got there, she got swiped and killed. And she's she's the one who plants the bomb. Okay. Yeah, because at the I did some reading on this afterwards. Like, did you fight the tyrant at the end while you were waiting for the helicopter? Yes. So yeah. At so the I, end. So I didn't do that. I um. Oh. Yeah. So. The idea is that Rebe- if Rebecca dies, your ending is... I saved Jill, uh, but if if Rebecca dies, you just um, get in the helicopter. <laughs> and you, you fight you fight the tyrant once down in the lab where Wesker bites. Oh. And, then, and then you just leave. <laughs> so what happened to me was, like, I saved Chris because he was in jail. I assume Jill was in jail in your yeah. playthrough. Yeah. Um, so I saved Chris and I saved Barry. And then we get up to the top and I get these signal flares and I shoot them to signal the helicopter. Mm. Um, And then you and Barry fight the tyrant and Chris is off screen. And the tyrant like relentlessly pursues Barry. But if you shoot him enough, because he like picks him up and is like about to kill him. So you shoot him enough, he drops Barry and Barry lives. And then eventually um, Chris tosses you a rocket launcher and you just shoot him and it explodes. Um, and then that's the end of the game. Yeah. I, I just, so with the ending, the bad ending I had where I didn't save Rebecca, you just don't get that final boss fight and the tyrant and it like ends with the tyrant's eye opening cause you didn't kill it. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, there was a weapon difference as well. So Jill has access to a grenade launcher quite early in the game that has three different ammo types and you get a bunch of grenade launcher ammo and it hits in an AOE, and if you use like incendiary ammo, it burns the corpse as well, and the corrosive grenades do a shitload of damage. I think probably like the most damage, except for maybe the the put like the the safety gun, which only has one bullet in the whole game. Um, you had the flamethrower instead, right? Yeah, barely, barely used it. I um honestly, I I was just using the shotgun and magnum, and okay. you, you only get the flamethrower fairly late so um the grenade launcher sounds like it would have been much more useful yeah it was pretty good um what did you use the the one bullet on by the way uh, i didn't even use it in the end oh, so okay. i so um 
I I did find out that that did a lot of damage, but then I got into some of these boss fights. I want to this this is the other area where I think that where the combat being intrinsically uninteresting hurts it. I uh, you just kind of run back and forth and just keep shooting them and dodge and you kill the enemy. Like you don't. I I probably should have used it on like the spider boss or something, but um. I'm terrified of spiders, and I knew that there was a spider boss because I like I had to look it up. Um, yeah. And I was like, okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna like look away from the screen, and then because there's auto aim, what I can do is I can walk into the boss room while I'm not looking at the game, and then like snap aim to it and shoot it, and then it takes like two extra grenades to kill it because the single shot does like so much fucking damage and like that was how i got through that boss by not looking at the game yeah um, i um i first tried every boss like they were they were very very easy to deal with they were quite uh, boring to be honest yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also yeah so like it's like st- it's like to me and i guess we're kind of getting into final impressions here but like to me parts of this game are like genuinely 10 out of 10 and then there's you know the boss fights and the story kind of let it down a bit for me but Hmm. honestly because they're such a small part of the game i think as a whole um it ends up being quite worthwhile well shall we shall we move to final impressions jimmy yeah go ahead patrick what did you think of resident evil remake um resident evil remake in a lot of ways is the best game that we've played for this podcast i I think that in a lot of ways it highlights exactly why I wanted to create this podcast in the first place. It's about exploring old games that are classics that have truly stood the test of time. And it's really shown me that the things that people assume, and even that I assume to a degree, are outdated and outmoded if they are used in the correct way, if they're used with care and deliberation, they can combine into creating an experience unlike any other that you cannot experience anywhere else. Resident Evil is a gameplay game, first and foremost, which also really speaks to me. Like, I've always been a person who's cared, tended to care far more deeply about the gameplay than the story, because the gameplay is what you're doing playing the game for most of the time playing it, unlike the emphasis on story in a game like Silent Hill 2. And I think that, as James said, that most of the time when you're playing Resident Evil, as you're exploring the mansion, as you're making plans to leave the safe room, as you're avoiding the zombies, you're engaged with 10 out of 10 gameplay, and it's wonderful. Um, even the aesthetics and you know things like camera angles all feed into these brilliant design choices. I think the level design of the mansion is some of the best level design I've ever experienced. I loved Resident Evil. I'm I'm shocked I haven't played it before and I highly, highly recommend it to everyone. It's a brilliant experience with a crappy story, but who even cares? It is a brilliant game and you should play it. Two weeks ago, when I said, Patrick, I'm picking Resident Evil for the game we're playing this week, Patrick went, eh, I don't know if I want to play that. <laughs> um, what a fucking idiot. <laughs> What a what a complete fool. Um, I'm glad you said what you said because I completely agree. I actually think this is easily a top two game, if not the best game we've played on this show. Um, and I would probably 
even though Dark Souls doesn't really count, I would include that in the list. Like, this is on that kind of tier for me. Like, we talk about that game all the time. And to me, this is like one of those games that can compete with a game we love to bits. Like, Resident Evil 1 is a fucking masterpiece. This game is incredible. Um... It's so fucking tight, like every element just works together flawlessly um, from a gameplay perspective. I didn't love the story, I know some people like it, so you know, it's not a big negative, but you know, from a gameplay perspective, to me, this game is as close to perfect as you can get, boss fights aside. Uh, I, I loved this from start to finish. I would recommend this game to like literally everyone i think it's brilliant from start to finish so fucking good the the tightness is something that we should also highlight we didn't really get into that when talking about the level design but the levels the the space that you're in is not some big bloated space it is very very small there are only in the mansion there are what 50 rooms maybe on on all three levels yeah. But but every room has an important purpose and it all fits together so brilliantly. Like it's I yeah, it you don't have these big open stretches with nothing. There's something in every fucking room. It's great. I it's it's so well done. Silent Silent Hill 2 has so many rooms with nothing. It's just yeah. these big stretches of nothing. Everything in Resident Evil is meaningful. It's, yeah. yeah, something special. Every fucking piece of ammo you find, every herb of healing, like, I feel like if you're good at this game, there's, like, way more of everything than you need. But on my first playthrough, it was, like, there was the perfect amount of everything. Um, the other thing is that when I picked Thief for the podcast, like, I kind of knew going into it that I would enjoy Thief because I, you know, I've got a, I like stealth games and I, you know, I've dabbled in a lot of modern stealth games, so it made sense. Resident Evil 1 kind of took me by surprise because I'd seen playthroughs of Resident Evil. Like I said, I've watched a lot and I was like, yeah, it seems all right. But then I play it and my mind is just blown. So it was a, it was a wonderful surprise, uh, equal to that of Katamari Damacy. Just sometimes you, you, you play something and you're not expecting it to be as good as it is. And yeah, just it's wonderful. I think that... Some people, when they play this game, might be a bit put off by the controls. I think you should absolutely persevere through that. It's 100% worth it. Um, and if you play the HD remaster that has the, you know, the control options, please give the original a go. And give it longer than you think, because you will get used to it, and you'll feel very rewarded for doing so. I think that the whole game kind of revolves around the original controls, and it's like essential to the experience yeah so play resident evil you will not regret it yeah well that was uh that was more positive than we've been for the last couple of episodes <laughs> um, more positive than we've been for almost any game so that was quite a surprise uh you're welcome patrick well yeah but that's that's what makes it meaningful james like we're not we're not the kind to hand recommendations out hand over fist so i hope people understand just how much it means when we give it this level of praise, how highly we think of it. Okay. <laughs> so thank you everyone for listening to us. Um, not as much doom and gloom, but uh, but positive vibes for once. Um, thanks for joining us as we uh, as we talked for 
close to two hours. James and I make up the Retrospectors podcast. Each and every fortnight, we talk about these classic games of the past, do a deep dive on them, and come out with an answer of whether they're good games that have truly stood the test of time or better left forgotten. Um, you can find all of our content on our website, rspodcast.net. It's got links to everywhere the podcast is available, all of our episodes, and also a bunch of articles that James and I have written over the years about games both old and new. Most importantly, we would love for you to drop by our Discord server. Our Discord server is where we do most of our interaction with our community, and we would love if you would drop by and let us know what you think, whether we should play, uh, what Resident Evil game we should play next, whether we should play the Resident Evil 2 remaster, the new one, over playing the original Resident Evil 2. We'd love to hear what you think, positive or negative, and we'd love to get into an argument with you about any video game you care to name. So yeah, please please do come check it out. Uh, so James, you picked Resident Evil this fortnight. Congratulations! I mean, I gotta I gotta give credit where credits due. You picked an absolute banger, um, but that means the torch has been passed back to me, and I get to choose the game for us to play this next fortnight. And James, we're gonna do another sequel episode, and in some ways, our most special sequel episode yet. We're going to play Doom 2. Doom was the first game we ever played for this podcast almost like three years ago now. Honestly, I think we've gotten better at um, reviewing games since then. Well, I'd like to think that. So I'd, I, I like to return to the franchise with, you know, all of the things we've learned playing these, you know, 63 games since we started this damn show. Yeah, what, one of the things one of the things I say to people before we start any sequel episode is, hey, go back and listen to this first episode we did. <laughs> but I'm kind of reluctant to point people towards episode one of our Doom because it's fine, but it's a little suspicious in a whole bunch of ways. Not only have we gotten better at reviewing games, I think, but I've gotten a lot better at editing audio. <laughs> um, and I think, like, last time I went back and listened to the old episodes, I was like, I hate myself so much. <laughs> so I'm kind of glad to give Doom, um, you know, a real treatment this time. Yeah, Doom 2, I think, is adds so much to the Doom formula. And I think that even though later Doom games did a better job with its tool set, we should really start with Doom 2 to give proper credit to your chain gunners and your revenants and the impact they have on the um, gameplay experience of playing Doom. So I look forward to you joining us in two weeks for Doom 2. See you then, guys. See you then, guys.